I think that's why clearly stating that the grid should be 100% clean energy is so important is because people do need an idea to rally around. A lot of people said we couldn't get to the moon as fast as we did. I think we made the decision to go to the moon well before it was obvious that we could do it uh, as effectively as we did. New Mexico is home to a wealth of natural resources, including oil and gas, and an abundance of wind and solar. It's also home to Democratic Senator Martin Heinrich, who sees clean energy in particular as an enormous opportunity, not only for New Mexico, but also the entire nation. Heinrich just released a plan articulating that vision as he campaigns for re-election in this fall's midterms. In this special episode, we sit down with the senator to discuss. Hello and welcome to Political Climate, a bipartisan podcast on energy and environmental politics in America. I'm Julia Piper, senior editor at Green Tech Media. Last week, the podcast team traveled to Washington, D.C., where we had the opportunity to speak with Senator Heinrich about his new clean energy vision and how he intends to turn that vision into a reality in these highly partisan times. You can read the plan at martinheinrich.com energy underscore vision, or check out our story on greentechmedia.com for more information. In this podcast interview, you'll hear from me and from my Democrat and Republican co-hosts, Brandon Hurlbutt, former Chief of Staff at the Department of Energy under President Obama, and Shane Skelton, former Energy Advisor to House Speaker Paul Ryan. You'll also hear something we weren't quite expecting, a senator from a fossil fuel extraction state saying that he thinks a 100% clean energy power grid is possible within his lifetime. Now, the key here is clean energy, which generally implies a broader mix of resources than just renewables. Still, it's a strong endorsement of the 100% movement that was radical to even consider just a few years ago. That was before clean tech costs plummeted, job numbers soared, and the clean energy industry became just too compelling to ignore. Here's our conversation with Senator Heinrich. Well, Senator Heinrich, thank you so much for coming on Political Climate, uh, speaking with us. I know we have a lot to cover and limited time, so we're going to jump right in. Sounds good. So I understand you've put together a clean energy vision for New Mexico, but also has implications for the country, for the U.S. economy and its carbon footprint as well. Some of the things that you you talk about are incorporating and incentivizing energy storage and microgrids, expanding growth in wind and solar modernizing transmission infrastructure, and making it easier for lab-developed energy technology to be commercialized, and then also investing in work training programs. Talk a little bit more about how this all fits together. What is this vision, these different pieces you're talking about? What are you really trying to get at here? Well, I think when I started working on energy issues, even you know, as a kid growing up in a utility family and seeing the way the um, the whole grid worked back in the 1970s and 1980s, uh, when I was you know hanging out in my dad's office in a utility, uh, drawing pictures of ready kilowatt, it was a very different place, right? It was like central generation, big hydro or big coal to big transmission to distribution to some business or some home that's buying that energy. And when I got to college, I got really interested in renewables. I joined a team where we raced a designed and built and and raced a solar car from Dallas to Minneapolis. So as a mechanical engineer, my job was to do the, you know, the wheels and the moving parts. But it really got me interested in what was going on with the photovoltaics, with things like LEDs, which were just coming on, uh, regenerative braking, 
And it sort of opened up a whole new energy world for me. And for most of my life, I can say it, it was hard to imagine a world where we would have 15, 20, 25, 30% penetration of renewables. I think we're now at a place where you can say, I may not be able to see around all the corners, but at least from a point of view of vision, I actually do think it's worth saying things like, we can have a future reliable, cheap, resilient grid that is 100% powered by clean energy. And technologically, or at least from an engineering point of view, their, their challenge is between here and there. But given how much things have changed just over the last 30 years, I have no doubt that 30 years from now, we'll be looking at those challenges in a very different way. So all the way to 100%, that's interesting. I, I think in my lifetime, that is completely doable. Yeah, so Senator, um, I'm a lifelong Republican. And when I looked at the plan um, that you outlined, I, I said to these guys, I agree 100% with everything in here. I don't find anything in here objectionable. So with, with that background, I guess my question is, is twofold. Is One, in your experience in the Senate, uh, which of any Republicans have you found to be helpful to work with or fun to work with on these issues, productive to work with? And the second part of that is, when I was working on the Hill, a lot of the holdups for a lot of policies, even policies people agreed on, was the cost. So would you be comfortable you know, ever down the line working with a group of Republicans on these are important investments that we need to make. It has to get done, but we'll work together to offset the cost to make this good policy a reality. Absolutely. And there are Republicans out there who want to do these things. I, I try in my day-to-day -day work with Republicans to try to stay away from using the words climate change. Uh, because if it's about infrastructure, if it's about jobs, if it's about cheaper electricity, uh, I think you can make a lot of progress, particularly with members who are not trying to protect, you know, jobs that are very good jobs, very important jobs, but are probably at a point now where the technology is going to change out from under them and we're going to go in a different direction as a country for purely economic reasons. So people like Dean Heller in Nevada, I've worked with on energy storage. Uh, obviously, he, you know, the Tesla uh, Gigafactory is in Nevada, so he knows he has that exposure. You know, there are members from places like North Carolina who really get solar or, uh, you know, Lisa Murkowski, who I disagree with on some things on energy policy, uh, the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge probably being the, the top of the list, but is fantastic at sitting down and figuring out where are the places where we share interests and can work together. And so those are some of the pragmatic players that I think uh, make it possible to get these things done, especially if you break them down into nuts and bolts and are not trying to just uh, bang a drum about a particular uh, dogmatic idea or hang climate change on it. I mean, I come from a state that has two of our country's biggest NNSA DOE national labs. Climate change is a fact and a reality we deal with every day in New Mexico. But I don't need to make that a point when I'm trying to work together with one of my colleagues who doesn't, uh, you know, for, for their purposes, doesn't share that point of view. What do you think is getting traction? Just to go one layer further on some of the specific policies you've put out there. Uh, you have the bipartisan energy storage bill with Senator Heller that would extend the 30% solar investment tax credit to storage. To storage and then ramp it down over time. So is that like an entry point that you see getting traction first? Is it the workforce stuff? What, what the are The workforce stuff has been very bipartisan, well supported. It's made its way into the last 
energy bill, which unfortunately died in the House. Um, but I think that's a piece that I fully expect to move. I think there's more and more awareness that we need to focus on transmission on both sides of the aisle. But regionally, you know, when it comes down to sort of not in my backyard issues is when that starts to become unwound on both sides of the aisle, irrespective of whether somebody's a Democrat or a Republican. But, but there is an awareness that like we, it is far too hard to do good transmission, smart transmission that is going to be necessary for the grid of the future. I mean, we're still doing all this amazing implementation of new renewables in states like mine with a very old grid. Um, it doesn't make sense to do it that way. My dad used to walk for miles and miles to, to check uh, switches and, and hardware. That should all be connected to a 5G network. And, you know, we need those backups for when there is a cybersecurity incident where there is a, uh, a natural disaster. But on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, we should be managing our grid much more effectively. And then you don't need the sort of redundant generation capability nearly as much. How do you think we get something like that passed? I, I, think, I think we kind of missed a window in this Congress. Um, we had very enthusiastic support from Senator Murkowski, Senator Cantwell for an energy package that was not super flashy, but really important on storage, on efficiency, on a number of different fronts, uh, workforce included. But those were the days that, in my view, Mitch McConnell spent focused on very partisan issues, the, the tax cuts that were successful, uh, the, um, you know, the repeal of Obamacare stuff that was not successful, but you know, a year and a half out of two years got spent on highly partisan issues. That makes it hard to pivot back to the stuff that ought to be broadly bipartisan. Um, you know, that pivot is sort of happening right now, but it 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 may be too late. My hope is that we can get a good energy bill through in the lame duck um, and then move on from there. Senator, I'm so excited that you're for 100% clean energy. Um, There's a huge debate even among our friends on this. There is. And I would you know, love to talk to you more about that. What about uh, you know, transportation? Uh, because that is really contributing to our greenhouse gas emissions. I'm also pleased to hear that there are senators, uh, Republican senators, that are willing to work with you on this. If we do have a Democratic House next Congress and a, a pretty split Senate, what can we get done on both of these issues? Anything that moves through the Senate is going to need to be bipartisan because I don't see things changing dramatically. You know, we may have a 52-48 Senate in either direction, right? Um, I think the way things feel and seem to be breaking, I wouldn't be surprised if we get a majority in the Senate, but it won't be an overwhelming majority in, in the Senate. And either way, it's going to have to be this, this sort of compromise energy package that we've seen negotiated in the last couple of Congresses. I think it will really change the tenor of what's possible to have a Democratic majority in the House. Um, I think that will sort of bring some of the moderates in the Republican caucus into a stronger position in terms of negotiations. You'll have Democrats who are much more interested in, in sort of a more pure clean energy vision. Uh, and I think that puts us in a better place to be aggressive, but not the kind of stuff that you saw, for example, in the summer of 2009. That being aiming for a, a big cap and trade bill or exactly. large scale. Or, a, or whatever that is. I mean, at some point, I think that 
Republicans, and I'd love to know Shane's view on this, are going to have to figure out what is the, the conservative answer to climate change. So, uh, I, I mean, and I, I think most of us on my side who really care about climate are not dogmatic, would love to hear what, what the conservative answer is and figure out how we can work together on that. If I, if I wrote something, it would look a whole lot like what you wrote, honestly. I mean, my, my biggest focus is on electrification of some of the bigger sectors of fossil fuel use. So if transportation. you go electrification, transportation, uh, water heating, space Absolutely. heating, um, agricultural processes and, and big industrial practices are being automated. I think those are things that are really easy that people should get behind. I also, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on you know how your constituents interact on these issues, but I think if people understood the value of storage and EVs and load balancing. I mean, you clearly understand this from your from your background, but I don't think I think people think, oh, they want a battery because it's green rather than a coal plant because it's not. And I don't think they understand that utilities really struggle with load balancing and having batteries meet you know peak shaving needs rather than an additional plant that's running on an RMR saves you money. Saves you money, yeah. and it, it's good for your ratepayers. It's Absolutely. good for the environment. Or customers, as I try to get utilities yeah. to call them. These <laughs> exactly. Days. But yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And, I, I think, you know, we spent the 1970s sort of rate basing gas water heaters and things that were uh, made sense at the time. But today, I think it does make sense to electrify transportation. It makes sense to electrify homes in a way that your hot water heater becomes part of that demand response. Uh, maybe you're using an air source heat pump instead of traditional um, thermal heating, and your car is very much a part of the solution of load balancing for all of that. And I think Republicans need to be, you know, elected Republicans on a broader scale need more messengers and, and and my team tries to do that and hopes to continue to do that but i think part of the part of the issue is that they have to understand there's a lot of economic value i think the federal government could do more in providing incentives and credits for certain you know good behaviors but a lot of this is at the state and local level the puc level where no question utilities could make these investments this isn't the federal government mandating it or spending trillions of dollars these are private companies that want to spend money doing this and they just need to get through that regulatory process so i think on my side, we can all do a better job of advocating, but also educating. Much of the work that I do in New Mexico has to do with convening, with communicating, with making sure that the attorney general and the, the PRC and the stakeholders, that we're all talking and see a greater good. And, and whether that's a big wind project in eastern New Mexico or whether that's you know trying to find better ways to value the economic value of storage or even just incorporate storage into um, the uh, the planning process for utilities. Those things happen well below the, the federal level. I invest in them because it moves the ball down the field and it does it remarkably quickly. Senator, uh, you were an engineer, uh, as you mentioned, and you know, we've been talking a lot about on our show the science lately, and the science would suggest that in the Southwest, when you get to years like 2050, things can get really challenging. And so I'm really heartened by this conversation that we seem to have some consensus on some of these, you know, measures. Is it going to be enough to, to, to do the job that we need to do on climate, especially for a state like New Mexico? Honestly, I don't know. And all we can do is move as quickly as we can. So, I mean, the science is going to be the science and it's pretty scary stuff. I think we're going to live in a very different state. Um, I've seen changes in my lifetime that worry me. Last year was the uh, worst snowpack on record in New Mexico. And, you know, I've quit using the term drought. I mean, what we're seeing across the West 
is a general aridification, a, a drying out and a, and a heating up of the entire environment. That means we're going to live in a different place and we're going to have to be a lot more conservative, particularly with water. This is a definitely a tension, though. You mentioned that not, you know, there's a debate around 100% renewables within the Democratic Party around taking, say, fossil fuel pack dollars. That's been in the news recently. And the question is, how fast do you move? And is it enough to these incremental measures? Of course, that's where the rubber hits the road. But the tone at the top is very important. And so do we need a great green deal? Do we need a World War II mobilization effort? I think that's why clearly stating that the grid should be 100% clean energy is so important. Is because people do need an idea to rally around. Not everybody's going to be an engineer and, and want to talk about the nuts and bolts of how we get there or what the challenges are between here and there. It's really helpful for humans to rally around an idea. A lot of people said we couldn't get to the moon as fast as we did. I think we made the decision to go to the moon well before it was obvious that we could do it uh, as effectively as we did. To flip that on its head, do you find, though, in New Mexico, say, that some people resonate more with, oh, storage in my backyard or in my home. I, I get that. And others resonate with this massive climate movement. Do you find that you have to tailor this message because of just where the partisanship and the politics are at these days? Oh, absolutely. And there, I don't think as long as you're consistent, there's nothing wrong with tailoring your message. You can't say one thing to one group and something totally opposite to the other group. But if I'm in eastern New Mexico and I'm in a place where wind is suddenly bringing uh, more private sector investment than many rural towns have seen since the railroad came to town. I'm going to talk about wind. I'm not going to talk about solar rooftop installers, but in Santa Fe or Las Cruces, that's what's creating the jobs. In Albuquerque, we have manufacturing, uh, you know, people making uh, Unirac is a, a good example, or Array Technologies who are doing manufacturing. They're not actually doing the cells or the modules, but they're putting people to work in clean energy. So it's okay to tailor that to what actually is going to work best in those communities. So what about in actually pursuing legislation? We have an ongoing, I won't call it a fight, I'll call it a debate. But my view has been, you know, we talk about maybe, maybe we're 30 years, you know, a 30-year-long solution. And so Brandon has said we need to take bold, serious action because there is no other alternative. And what I've said is that saying that all I'll accept is bold, serious action leads to nothing. So you referenced cap and trade earlier, 2009. Now, what we know is between then and now, literally nothing has happened. You had the clean power plan, which was put on hold by a court and won't be implemented by the Trump administration. And my question would be, if both parties worked together to make smaller incremental progress, at, at this point, we'd be 10 years into that progress rather than starting at ground zero. And I just wonder, just, you know, for someone like Brandon to say, I'll accept nothing less than 0% fossil fuel or 100% renewables. And I'm going, I don't think you have 60 votes plus 218 for that, but you might have 60 plus 218 for something that moves the ball a little bit, and then you can move the ball again and get another first down. I think it's really important for elected leaders to articulate a grand vision, but then be willing to compromise and work on what is the possible. That is, you can do those two things simultaneously. And I would say that as frustrating as it was for me to be in the House when cap and trade passed and then to see you know, many of my colleagues lose their seats, see that not uh, successfully move through the Senate, I think utilities took much of that to heart and decided that they were going to start leaning in. And we've seen huge increases in clean energy penetration since then as a result. So even though that legislation didn't pass, what we did was still quite important. 
Do you think that voters are getting that? When you go home to your home state, uh, are they realizing the potential here? I would say 10 years ago, it was about potential. You were saying there are going to be these jobs in solar, in wind, in efficiency. Today, people know people in those jobs, and that's a huge change. So that is a that is a marked difference from where we were 10 years ago, and it's why you see more and more bipartisan support for specific programs that 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 help move our renewables forward. Senator, you've been a, a big supporter of job training and workforce development. Uh, what does that look like for you? I think that looks like the Department of Energy partnering much more closely with technical uh, career technical colleges, community colleges across the country. And I think that's a something we can learn from generally. I've been a big critic of the idea of community colleges just as a precursor to a four-year university. I think where our community colleges and our career technical colleges really thrive is when they're preparing a better prepared workforce. And DOE needs to look forward and say, okay, in five years, here's what energy jobs are going to be needed, and then partner with those educational institutions to implement that curriculum and create the pipeline directly into a job. I want to quickly touch on, because you have have been vocal about this recently, things to do with mining and water and protecting monuments and some of the other environmental issues that aren't just the clean energy, clean tech related components. Do you feel like you have to also spend a lot of time sort of block and tackling these days and just defending sort of the protections that we have in America? Uh, And is it hard to balance that with these future looking clean energy policies? I, I don't think it's a matter of one or the other. I mean, they're both things I care deeply about. I uh, live in New Mexico because it is an incredibly beautiful, rich state with wonderful public lands. And I can't imagine not living in a place that has the kind of national forests and BLM monuments and, and parks that we do. When you talk to Republicans and Democrats back east, they all know national parks. But the places that I love are our generalized public lands. Uh, I just did a a river trip recently on the Chama River in New Mexico. We went through a BLM, Bureau of Land Management Wilderness Study Area. We went through a Forest Service Wilderness. You know, these are places that aren't necessarily on the map nationally, but really contribute to our ability to recruit people to the state because of the quality of life that they, they provide. And especially for residents who've been there a long time, it's a great equalizer. You have Uh, I don't care how small your wallet is, you can go out and recreate, you can camp, you can hunt, you can fish on these public lands. And so we have to continue to protect those as well as think about big picture energy policy. Senator, what are you most excited about looking forward? You you do have a race ahead of you, I guess. What's your sort of near term look like? And then when you think to 2019, what do you what do you want to do for the country when you think a little longer term? Let's get big picture. I want to see the country realize just how much opportunity there is in embracing a forward-looking energy infrastructure. And I think we're now at a place where we can think beyond decarbonizing electricity to decarbonizing transportation, looking at agriculture, looking at the other things that contribute to our climate challenges and beginning to lead in and see the kind of progress there that we're already seeing move very quickly within the electric sector. Great. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us. We really appreciate your time. I know you got, again, a busy fall ahead of you. Great to be here. Thank you. 
And that's our show. Again, I'm Julia Piper, Senior Editor at Green Tech Media, joined by Brandon Hurlbut and Shane Skelton. A special thanks again to Senator Heinrich and his team for setting up this interview. If you want to listen to all episodes of Political Climate, they are available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen. We hope you'll also reach out to us on Twitter. We're at poly underscore climate, P-O-L-I underscore climate. We want to hear from you. For now, until next time.